Well, it's good to be with you again. Uh, I like to say, uh, are there uh, any elders in the place? Uh, I like to thank the elders and our deacons. Do we have any deacons? Deacons? How about the elders and deacons standing? I appreciate what these men have been doing. Yeah. Yeah. I love you men. Thank you. And the congregation, of course, uh, two services. But uh, these have been tough years, the last three years. I didn't mean to create so much chaos. Uh, you know, I think it was Tim Bowsham said, we meant for you to step aside, not for the whole church to close down because of COVID. And uh, a year of COVID, um, in which one denomination, 50% of the pastors resigned because uh, they were being taken to the cleaners over whether you should wear a mask or should not, whether you should get a shot or not. I wish some of the saints could have got a shot to change their mood, <laughs> change their attitude. Been a lot of things that's divided the church that had nothing to do with the gospel, had nothing to do with Christ. It's just a, an epidemic that we were all, and leadership are supposed to omnisciently know what you ought to do, and that's impossible. And uh, we're glad you're here today. Judy, glad you're here. Pat, glad to have you, Rudy, Dolly, my cousin from all the. He's the only guy who was in the youth group. He, him and me, that was it. Um, turn to Romans 8. When you don't know what to say, read Romans. Memorize Romans 8. Do any of you memorize scripture? Okay, there's two. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Pardon the voice. Uh, I've been battling to keep a voice. I've yelled at you and my wife for so many years. I've been losing it. And uh, uh, I'm going to omit some reading just to spare the voice. But I want to talk to you about the agony and the ecstasy of living for God in this world. Can we have assurance in the midst of all the groaning that we've been assigned with. You pick up in verse 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth, that is a strong illustration. It's like creation is in the pains of childbirth ever since the fall of man. 
That's a long, a long groan. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for that which we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. You would think that once you get the Holy Spirit, your weakness would end. It doesn't. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We'll pick up later. Three things are groaning in this section. Creation, Christians, and the Holy Spirit. Godet, a famous commentator, said that creation were the attendance to the wedding of Adam and Eve to God in the garden. And it's as though on the wedding day, as God and man were to be betrothed eternally, at the wedding, a serpent came in and bit the bride, and she died in front of God. So creation was a witness to Adam and Eve. They knew when there were no weeds. They knew when animals were not carnivorous. Lions didn't kill other animals. Everything was vegetarian. Everything was perfect. There was no pain in childbearing. There was no pain, nothing. And yet creation stood by and watched the bride bitten that day, and death invaded this planet. We've been dying ever since. We've been weeping ever since. Graves have been dug ever since. Animals die. People die. Plants die. The planet is dying. It's wearing out. It's grieving. It's groaning. It's in pain. And what Florida saw was just one manifestation of creation with just wind and wave can wipe out, it seemed like Florida, 12-foot waves to invade your neighborhood and two foot of rain from above. Imagine two feet of rain falling on me and the tide comes in 12 feet. I've got 14 feet of water i got to deal with. We need to be praying for those dear people. Bailing out, bailing out, creation. Sometimes when you hear that wind, when I'm in South Carolina, one thing I see a lot of is rain and thunder and lightning. I remember the first time I took Carolyn out of California. When we got married, I took her to Van Buren, Arkansas. And on a Sunday night, we were staying at the evangelist quarters. And here's a California girl 
and I'd been in that part of the country before, and if you've ever been there, you know there's a quietness and a just kind of a calm that's there. And, and I told her, I said, watch out, it's going to happen. She said, what's going to happen? And about that time, that lightning hit, and we were just married. I thought she'd feel protected. She said, take me to the pastor's house. I thought, what's the pastor going to do for you? You got me. That's my problem. Take me to the pastor's house. I'm scared. I mean, she just never seen anything like it. Creation is in a groan. It's in an agony of the day when the millennial reign will be set up and the curse removed from the earth. And when the lion can lay down with the lamb. And when weeds no longer take over. What a groaning scene he has here. And then he says, that's not the only thing groaning. But we Christians are still living with a groan. My son-in-law told me, he said, Dad, sometimes I miss church. And of course, growing up in a different tradition and growing up in St. John Missionary Church in Bakersfield, he said, sometimes I miss groaning in church. He said, I used to go to church with my burdens and I could groan. White folks don't know much about it in church. We're too conservative. But he said, sometimes my heart's breaking and I want to groan. I said, you got Bible for it. We groan in this world when we have a deacon that blows his brains out and he leaves a wife and a baby girl back behind him when you see kids leave that never come back when a brother of mine has a granddaughter found on the streets of San Francisco dying of an overdose uh, you've got a right to groan you've got a right to grieve you've got a right to shed tears we are people often in the groan. When I go see my sister, sometimes she introduces me as her brother. Other times she introduces me as her dad because her mind is going. Her mind is going. And when I leave, I said, can this be my kid's sister? Is this my sister Ruth? She's not what she used to be. The groans. McGee used to say that anytime he would be groaning, his wife said, cut that groaning out. She, he said, I've got Bible. He told me I could groan. And he said, here we Christians were in the groan. Disappointment, children that never come back, loved ones that we say goodbye to, that some we know we'll never see again. It's hard to bury the unsaved. It's hard to bury the unsaved. Go to the emergency room. Some of you folks never been in the hospital much. I've been there all my life, one appointment. Here, my mother, I'm the seventh child. And, and when she found out she's pregnant, she just threw up her hands. She's making $50 a week getting rich. And then all of a sudden, she found out she was pregnant. And she told my dad, what's the use of working in the shipyards? Here, I'm pregnant again. You just look at me, and I get pregnant. 
For years we believed that. I kept her at the doctor more than all of her children combined. Always going to the doctor. Thought I had polio. Thought I had this. Losing my hearing. Losing my speech. One impediment after another. And all the groaning. The groaning. The longing. He said, we as Christians groan so much that sometimes our prayer life is nothing but a groan. Have you ever got before God and all you offered to him was a groan? You couldn't articulate your feelings. You couldn't articulate the weakness. The uh, Give me an answer. Bring them back. Bring reconciliation to misunderstanding. Bring them back. This world is full of misunderstanding, full of separations, full of breaking up. Always things coming apart, coming apart, and we grieve, we grieve and we groan over some of the situations. And he said, and that's when the Holy Spirit, he says, he too, along with us, he enters into an intercessory ministry to God for us with groans too deep for words. Now, some think this is tongues or some kind of prayer language. I don't think the verse commands that. But if that's what you do, help yourself. It's not saying that. It's saying he himself has a Trinitarian language that only he and the Father understand. And the Father who knows all things can read the Spirit's groans. And one thing the Spirit will always do, he'll always pray that we'll be doing the will of God, come to embrace the will of God, do the will of God. He will never pray anything crazy about for you. He doesn't ask God for a stone or a serpent. He's always asking God, conform them to the image of your son. Make them like your son. Make them like Christ. And the Father knows exactly what I need when all I can do is groan. I've had times that all I did was soak a handkerchief and groan. I couldn't even give the answer for the prayer because I don't know what I articulated. I just said, I offer you a groan. I don't understand. I don't like what I'm going through. I don't like this misunderstanding. I don't like this separation. I don't like death. I don't like burying loved ones. I don't like cancer. I don't like this. I don't like that. And it's as though God said, welcome to a fallen world, a fallen humanity and a fallen environment until you get to heaven. In the meantime, you groan, but I want you to know the Spirit knows exactly what you need in the midst of the groan. I remember being overwhelmed in a trial early in our marriage, and uh, my wife was working on a job, and I was so grieved that the only thing I could do that night was sing myself to sleep. And uh, I was there, and I sang, and I sang, and I sang until I could sing no more. And I fell asleep singing. And I woke up. You would have thought everything in the world had been settled in the eight hours I slept. 
I woke up, and in my heart I said, all is well. All is well. All is well, because you see, the Spirit interceded while I slept. If Jesus is on board, you can sleep even when it's stormy. You can keep sleeping. You don't have to worry. And you remember that one time they said, by the way, did we bring any bread? Oh, Jesus said, you're running with the bread maker. You don't need to be worrying about a loaf. I just fed 5,000. I just fed 4,000. Why are you worrying about a loaf of bread if you're running with the bread maker? Is he on board? So he says, we live in this present life with the groan. It, it's an anathema gospel to say health and wealth. You should never be sick, and you should by all means be wealthy. If I could talk God into that, I'd take it. But it doesn't seem to be the path he has led for most of his children. Some through the water, some through the blood. Some through great trials, but all through the blood. God leads his dear children along. Through shady green pastures, God leads his dear children along. He, he brings us through afflictions. He brings us through trials. Because we're stubborn people that he has to chisel deep to change our temperaments. And usually afflictions speak louder than kindness. He knows how to shape the clay to reflect his son. But in the midst of this, the second thing we should pay attention to is there is a purpose for us in the midst of the groaning. Look at verse 28 and 29, what he tells his child. In verse 28, likewise, I pick up, and we know that for those who love God, nothing is working for good. If you were listening, you would correct me by yelling out. But you'd have to know the text. And we know, do you? And do you? We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are good, no, together for good, for those who are according to does God have a purpose for your life I think if you ask most 30 year olds and younger if you ask them if you met them at Starbucks and you ask hey uh, what's the purpose for your life if you're a good American you say making money that's the big purpose and drinking coffee at Starbucks where they charge you four times what they ought to charge you. Making money. You hear that all the time. Yet teen suicide is on the increase. It's, it's, uh, it's overcome the nation as far as youth killing themselves, taking their lives, drugs, whatever. Just despair. No sense of meaning. Why am I here? And yet he says to us who are children of God, who may be suffering under Nero, as Paul will die under Nero, he can say, everything God is doing, even my imprisonment, is working for my good. 
I'm telling you, uh, there's sometimes, I don't think I've been, or James 1, 2, counted all joy when you have all these trials. I said, God, you must be kidding. How? Because you know it's working for you. Lord, I like me the way I was. And God says, I don't. And so I've designed a curriculum to conform you to the image of my son. I want to go to heaven, but I don't often want to be like Jesus. Do you know what I'm talking about? I want to be angry when I want to be angry. I want to get my way when I want to get my... God said, I'm going to teach you to be and look like my son if I have to break your neck. Lord, that doesn't seem very kind. Well, you don't seem to be very cooperative. I have many methods. Let me train you with my eye. Let me train you with my tender hand. But I will get you there anyway. My dad used to sing a song that when he got to heaven, somebody was going to ask him, how did he make it there? And he sang in the chorus, I came through tribulation. How about you? He said he used to pray, God, try me. God, test me, and I'll show you I love you. And he said, pretty soon, his oldest son was killed in front of my mother. And then he prayed for another son. And the doctor came from a poker game and took the four steps and crushed the baby's skull. And the baby died within 48 hours. Then my mother had a nervous breakdown. And he had to hire someone to stay with her in the daytime because she was screaming hysterically out of her head, crying to get these babies back. He said, son, I finally learned to pray. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. I don't ask for you to try me anymore. I give. I give. I don't want any more. I learned to say, Go easy on me. I need mercy. I don't need to be tested to the utmost. I've already wilted. I've wilted. But here he says, God is working all things. I asked my mother, how did you get saved? She said, well, when your brother was killed, some Assembly of God women came knocking on my door in Kansas City. And I was a broken-hearted, nervous, breakdown little mother of about 23. And I went to that women's Bible study. And they were doing clothes that day. They were washing them in big tubs and basins. She said, I knelt next to a sawhorse. And that was my altar where I cried. Would you have me? I'm broken. I'm shattered. All I got in my arms is one baby girl. I need you. I can't go on any further. God got her attention, and God got her faith. We groan, but everything is working together for our good. For he says in verse 29, those whom he foreknew, that is before time, he was intimately acquainted with you, before time them he predestined before you reject the word it'd be nice if you find out what it means have you learned to read the Bible say I don't like that throw it out no you've been predestined whether you believe it or not 
You've been called. Many are called. Few are chosen. The, the word call is really a verb to call your name. But it became a noun for believers because it referred to those who heard the voice call and they responded, so they named them, you're the called ones. When Paul in Acts 9, when he had the vision from heaven in the Greek language, the, the men with him heard noise, but they never heard the message. Only Paul heard the message. They heard sound. People going deaf. My brother David struggles with this. He said, I can hear the noise. I can hear volume, but I don't hear syntax. I don't know what you said. But I can hear noise in the room. Paul said, the rest of them heard noise. I heard the voice. I heard the voice. And in this world of cacophony, I want to tell you there's a voice above all other voices. My sheep will hear my voice and another they will not follow. Have you heard the voice? And he says, I've foreknown you. I've predestined your life. I've called you. I've justified you. And I'm going I'm to tell you, you talk about purpose. God designed your life before you got out of the womb. He already knew you. He already numbered the hair on your head, numbered the day you'd be saved, numbered the day you'd go to heaven. He knows all about his own people. I can make it in the groan. I've got a purpose on my worst day. And that is my father has designed good for me, good for me. He finally goes and says, you can have assurance. You can have assurance even in the midst of this groan. And pick up verse 30. Notice what he says. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Here we go. What then shall we say to these things? If this God foreknew me, predestined me, called me, justified, and already uses a past tense to speak of my glory. God seems pretty sure I'm going to make it. I don't at times. Are you sure you're going to go to heaven? Well, there's three of you saved. Are you sure you're going to be there? A bunch of you are acting like you're still Catholics. Acting like if I get last rites, if I'm good enough, can't. You know what? I started this church to tell people you can know you're saved. And, and there's literature out there now. Uh, one of them, a little book called Why Johnny Can't Preach. And it tells about uh, in a Reformed tradition, they were so busy saying, test yourself to see whether you be in the faith. Uh, even lordship sometimes. Uh, did I surrender enough? Did I pray enough? Did I obey enough? Uh, if you look to yourself, you'll never have assurance. 
You are not the basis of the assurance you ought to have. Because some days I don't act like I think I ought to act. Some days I don't even really have a time of prayer. And most Christians don't. They say the average pastor prays 15 minutes a day. How are you doing? When's the last time you evangelized anyone? When's the last time you gave in the offering? Be still, my soul, and be quiet when, you, when guilty. No, no, no. At our best, we fall short. At our best, we're falling short of our own expectations. We're just never quite measuring up. And did I pray enough? Did I fast enough? Did I give up enough? Did I follow enough? Did I obey enough? You know what? My faith is in one who followed. My faith is one who obeyed enough. My faith is one who prayed enough. My faith is in one other than myself. My Savior is adequate to get me there. I'm trusting him, not me. He will hold me fast. I did not grow up that way. We sing, he will let nothing. When I grew up, we sang, I will let nothing separate me from his love. I changed it to, he will let nothing. No, we grew up, I will let nothing separate me from his love. But as I kept learning about this chapter, I switched it, he will let nothing. Now listen to what he says, four questions. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, take yourself like it. Is God for you? He's not for every one of you. Because if you haven't trusted Christ, he's against you until you accept his son. But to hear God say, I am for you, that is awesome. Um, that we who were God's enemies, we who were described in Romans 1 as sinful, weak, wayward, hostile towards God, he is now put in a relationship where I used to be against you. My wrath was coming upon you, but now you've found yourself in Christ, and in Christ I can never be against you. If God the Father is for us, who can succeed against us? Then he goes on and asks another question. If God the Father did not spare his own son, listen to that. Uh, would you think just a, a bit, I know you're not used to thinking in church, but think. Think. Uh, what is he saying there? If God spared not, try to think with me, if that was your son on the cross. And as I study and see Christ on the cross, every way a son could be abandoned by a father, he was emotionally, physically, he shredded. 
Isaiah 52 said he was marred beyond recognition. All you saw in so many ways in his facial countenance was a blob, bleeding, swollen, bruised, five wounds, stripped naked, put out there for the world to gaze on him. Right in the middle of the day, from nine in the morning to three in the afternoon. And all of a sudden, he screamed out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, it's because he did. He wasn't just yelling that for rhetoric. He wasn't doing that for drama. God did abandon him because he said, I will not spare my son anything a hell-deserving sinner deserves. I will not spare you when you take their place. I'll pour my wrath on you. I'll pour pain, physical, emotional, abandonment, alienation. There is no help offered. I'll pull down the drapes of heaven so no one sees the shameful place. And yet he said, will a God who would spare not his own son, will he not give you everything else? He's done the hardest thing he could ever do for you. All the other will be easy for him to give us. And he said, I'll give it to you. God spared no expense nor pain upon his son to make you his child. He's saying, who's going to succeed against a God who would spare nothing to make you his child? Nothing. He asked a second question. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Now imagine, God the Father is the judge of the court. God the Son is the substitute advocate for the condemned. And God says, no charge against my child can ever succeed in my court. The case is forever thrown out. Heaven has ruled on behalf of the child of God. You declare righteous in the court of heaven. No one will win in a charge against you. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Your conscience will accuse you. Your enemies will accuse you. Those that don't like you will, but no one can win a case in the court of heaven against you. No one, no one. It's what he's saying. Listen, who is to condemn? And condemn is the word used in 8.1. There's no condemnation. And it's a little word, katakrima. It's charges against, penalty against. Who can bring any penalties against those that are in Christ? Who is there that will condemn? Christ died. Why did he die? For me, in my place. More than that, he was raised. He's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who can win against us when you've got this kind of God defending you and for you? No one can condemn you. Even when you're 
You condemn yourself. You know what I've seen? I've seen children of God in their dying moments, in their final days. I've seen many a true child of God begin to question their salvation, question their assurance, because Satan is there attacking them, is there accusing them, and is bringing up every bad thing they've ever done. And they bring it up, and I've seen different ones being tortured by the things they had done in the past and losing their assurance. And here God says, tell them no time in their life when they first believe, when they're ready to die, will I bring up their sins. No, nothing, nothing shall condemn them. Nothing, nothing, unless they can conquer Christ. And they can't. Finally, he asked the question, who can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus? And he, he begins to read it. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm sure that neither death nor life Angels nor rulers, things present nor things to come, powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That must be the final victory of the cross work of Christ. Sin brought death and death brings separation. Separation for us, the body separates from the soul dust to dust one thing that is scary the love between loved ones can be separated watching this uh, PBS treatment of the holocaust uh, it is a horrendous horrendous time in history that in the 40s 44 and 45 to watch the mom and dad go this way and to see the children put in the ovens. Maybe the mom keep the dad to work. If he's able to work, if he's not able to work, we'll gas him too. They were saying goodbye through cyclone fences with German shepherds barking and biting and old ladies being pushed to the ground the tragedy of slavery in this country, families parted. You're taking my baby out of my arms. Or to send our boys off to a war, I think especially World War II, all my uncles shipped out from our house. My mother and my dad, both were the eldest of 10 children, so there's 18 aunts and uncles. And my uncles would all stay with us before they shipped out to the Pacific. Sometimes when you said goodbye, you would never see them again. Many a lover said goodbye. Carolyn's own father married her mother. Mother got pregnant. He's out on a ship at Iwo Jima, a radio officer. Mom's back home, and Martinez having a baby girl that he didn't see 
until months later when the Navy released him. You never know when you say goodbye if you'll ever see him again. Whether it's a soldier, whether it's tragedy, Tim helped me, and I think made a profound statement. We were never meant to say goodbye. Sin brought the goodbyes. We were never meant to be parted. We were never meant to bury anyone. Sin brought all that. I remember one year I was going to Denver to finish up an education program. And that particular year, we had lunch in the afternoon, and my widowed mother and my children and my sister in Virginia, they all saw me to the airport. But it's one of the most emotional parties I could remember. My one daughter was just a wreck. She was just so emotional about it. My mother began to cry. I couldn't stand to watch my mother cry. I told Carolyn after that, no more. You just drop me off at the curb and go. I can't take the emotion. It's too hard. I'll see you, the Lord willing. If not, I'll see you in glory. But what about loved ones you know you'll never see again? God has to some way blot out the memory so we can keep going. We can keep functioning. And here he says to us, by the way, I'm going to see to it that you'll never be separated from the son that was not spared on the cross. He will get his people and we will be with him forever. No goodbyes in eternity. No goodbyes. No misunderstandings. No getting your feelings hurt. No more cancer. Someday my dear sister will have her mind again. You'll get your loved ones back. I mean, in 51 years connected with this church, how many have I said goodbye to? I think of Frank was going to help me start this church, but he was in Idaho. And I pulled up just as he was pulling out of Barbara Lane on his way to Idaho. Why didn't you tell me? And, and so he came back later. Now with the Lord, I've got to go to glory to see him. But we will never be separated from the one who has loved us and died for us and rose again for us. Oh, children of God, keep looking. We're closer to heaven than when we began. It won't be long. Someone asked me the other day, I think it was Steve Zeem, he said, do you think Jesus is about to come? I said, Steve, I've been hearing that all my life. He's about to come always. But if he doesn't come, I'm going to beat him to it. I'm going to him. I'm going to him. For to be absent from the body, notice, is to be separated forever. Is what? Ah, somebody's reading their Bible. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's not a bad deal. 
If we believed in heaven as much as we preach, we wouldn't bemoan the fact people are going there. And you will be going sooner than you planned. I will too. Brand new body. Brand new body. No heartaches. No separation. And I got a whole bunch of people over there. I can't wait to hug their neck for eternity. God bless you. Where is it? Let's stand. I get to dismiss it. Let's stand. Let's stand. They're slow to obey. I haven't been in the pulpit for a while. You guys become the sleepy church. Wake up. Anybody here going to heaven? Glory to his name. Our Father, I thank you. You spared nothing towards your son to make us sons and daughters. Forever we will praise you. Forever, Lord. It's your fault that we're saved. If we'd had our way, we would have been lost. We would have wandered like sheep that have gone astray, do our own thing and perish. But you wouldn't let us choose hell. So you chose us, died for us, revealed yourself to us, called us by name, and we could say now, I'm yours forever. Glory to your name. We bless you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you.